Could an implanted packet of lab-grown cells hold the key to reversing type 1 diabetes? When Dr. Timothy Kiefer's lab at the University of British Columbia showed that stem cell-derived cells could cure the disease in mice, it was the first step towards developing a technique that is showing potential in humans. Now, several people in British Columbia have been implanted with a device containing these cells, and the world is watching. I'm Krista Lamb, and today on the Diabetes Canada podcast, I'm talking to Dr. Timothy Kiefer about his work and the potential for stem cells to help those living with type 1 diabetes. Welcome, Dr. Kiefer. Hi, Krista. Thanks for inviting me. Well, we're really excited to have you and to talk about this because it's something that we have discussed quite a bit on the podcast. So this is um, another, this is something that's really, really exciting for the type 1 community, and a lot of people have heard about stem cell implant, and I wonder, could you explain a little bit more about what the work is that's being done? Sure. So the research community is also very excited about it, Um, and basically, I know know you've talked about um, relevant work before, and, and your audience will know the background, but for me, it really stems from my time in Edmonton and their wonderful work developing the Edmonton Protocol and showing that it's possible to get patients off insulin by transplant of a teaspoon of cells that they get from organ donors. Um, And of course, that's limited in terms of the number of patients that that can receive such a procedure, but it really showed that it can work. It can replace insulin injections, get glucose back under control, and be life-changing for those patients. So what we're doing, we're not actually implanting stem cells, so just to make that correction or distinction, We and others are taking stem cells and cultivating them in the lab into insulin-producing cells and then implanting them. So the advantage is, the excitement about stem cells is they have, by definition, the ability to expand. So it's an unlimited source of cells, and they can be differentiated into any cell in the body. So the concept is really... um, continuing on the great work that was done in Edmonton showing the potential for a cell therapy for diabetes and trying to come up with an unlimited source of cells that can feed the the supply that's needed to get it out to many more patients who could benefit from it. And it's really exciting for a lot of people because I think for anyone in the type 1 community, we've been hearing for years, um, we've cured diabetes, but only in Mm -hmm. mice. And so to actually see it coming into human clinical trials, how does that feel? You're right. Um, There's far many more cures for diabetes in mice than there are um, for other diseases. So I I think I've heard people say for diabetes, there's probably 200 or more apparent cures of diabetes in mice. So it's a good time to be a mouse with diabetes. Um, But for patients, um, of course, they want to see these things translated. Um, Part of the issue is that it's, it's very costly to move things from um, animal research into testing in humans, and it requires the resources of large companies to get behind it. Um, and to do that, they really need to believe in, in it. And, and in terms of, you know, you asked how I feel about the fact that this is getting into the clinic, it's really, really exciting because it means that pharma companies um, do see the potential in this. They realize this is a disruptive technology. I think many of them are now believing that um, insulin sales are going to come to an end at some point, and it's you know this is a, a potential cure. So, I was very excited to see that industry was getting behind this and actually putting some resources that are necessary to get it into testing in patients. And can you explain what it is that the patient is actually getting? Because I think sure. sometimes it's really confusing. So they're getting a little, almost like a little bag of cells or a bag of 
What, sure. what is it? Sure. So the trial you're referring to is led by a company called Viasite in California. And they're starting with um, human embryonic stem cells, so these pluripotent cells I talked about. They're expanding them, and then they're differentiating them uh, in their clean room into what we call a pancreatic progenitor cell, or, or they refer to it as a PEC cell. And these cells are not yet mature insulin-producing cells, but they're kind of committed to that lineage. So they then take those cells and they put them in a small device, and we, we um, refer to it almost like a tea bag. And the idea is that the cells go in the device, the device is sealed, and then it's implanted under the skin in the patients. And they're testing two types of devices right now. The first one is completely sealed from immune cells. So the idea is it has small pores that the nutrients can get into the cells, the glucose can get into the cells so they can sense it. Um, and after they mature, which takes about three or four months, and they turn into insulin-producing beta cells, when they sense that change in blood sugar, they'll release the insulin. It will get out through the pores and into the blood and get carried around through the body. So that's gone into uh, many patients. Uh, um, the first was uh, end of October in 2014, I believe. Um, and one of the issues they found with that device is there's a little bit of a foreign body response. So the, the body kind of seals off the device in that subcutaneous space. So they've now re-engineered the device and put fine or some, some holes in it which will allow the vasculature to penetrate into the device and sustain the cells within. That's at least the idea. And so we and others in North America um, are now putting that device into patients. Again, it has these uh, pancreatic um, endocrine progenitor cells. And the hope is that after three to four months, they'll finish their um, differentiation into the insulin-producing cells. And at that point, we'll be able to take over the automatic sensing of blood sugar and release of insulin into the blood so that the patients no longer have to take insulin therapy by injection, for example. Okay. And so most people listening, they might not understand that there's a whole process. So you go through, you have to check the safety and the mm -hmm. efficacy. So it could be years before this is ever something that people actually see in the mm -hmm. pharmacy, but it's really good to see it moving forward. Exactly, and I would just correct you that not could be years, it will be it years. It will be years, yeah. yes. Um, as you uh, alluded to, um, just like when we do um, studies in the lab where we start out doing in vitro studies and then we do um, animal studies and there's various stages of that in the clinic, It's there's a number of stages and steps, and it starts out with looking at safety, obviously, and small numbers of patients, and then expands from there. But it, there, there's a lot of steps and optimization that are required to actually turn it into a product that can then be commercialized and widely distributed. And, you know, we have to keep in mind, too, this is a new form of medicine that the pharmaceutical industry is not used to. So we've just seen some wonderful developments in the cancer field with cell-based therapies. Um, but you know, they've been a long time coming, and, you know, now that, um, you know, seeing these new cell therapies arise, I think, is bringing more interest from pharma, and they're starting to grapple with this new business model and this new, very expensive medicine, um, but very disruptive and potentially curative for many diseases. Okay. And you work with Dr. David Thompson, or Dr. David Thompson is mm -hmm. running this study. And can you talk a little bit so people understand, because you do the basic science in mm -hmm. the lab, and then you have a clinician scientist who sort of brings it into the clinic. And mm -hmm. Can you explain how that works a little bit? Yeah. So we've got a great team in Vancouver that's assembled and um, 
you know, following these patients, and they started working with islet transplants. So there's a long history of uh, islet transplantation in Vancouver that was initiated with um, the recruitment of Garth Warnock, who was a member of the Edmonton Protocol team to Vancouver as they had a surgery and setting up the Ike Barber lab for islet isolation and doing uh, the clinical islet transplants. Um, and then uh, David Thompson, who you mentioned, he's uh, an endocrinologist and someone who sees diabetic patients every day um, and is very keen and motivated to try to find something better for his patients. So he's been participating in the islet transplant program and was really keen to get involved with uh, the stem cell um, implants. So he, as you uh, noted, is the, the key PI in Vancouver who is um, following the patients who are receiving this, these implants. His job is not per se to put in the implants. The surgeons are doing that, but he follows the patients before, during, and after uh, the procedure, and that's a, a critical role. So we're, we're very fortunate to have somebody like him uh, who's highly motivated to, to investigate the, the future of diabetes therapies in Vancouver. And basic science is something we spoke to Daniel Drucker on the podcast, and we've spoken to uh, James Johnson, who I know you've worked with before, mm -hmm. about the need for basic science. And so I think mm -hmm. that's where people get confused because they often don't mm -hmm. realize that there's the scientist doing the work in the lab mm -hmm. um, who actually proves that this could work, right. and then it has to go into the clinic. So it's, a, it's really interesting to see mm -hmm. the partnership come together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I think basic scientist is a bit of a misnomer. Mm -hmm. I, I would say that what we're doing is not basic at all, um, but um, you're absolutely right. So it's important to keep in mind that we're trying to do something that no one has ever done before. That's typically what a, a research scientist is doing. So our role is to test new ideas. We call them a hypothesis. Um, and generate sufficient data when we think we're on the track of something that could work and could help patients, we need to generate sufficient data to interest the industry that is necessary to move something into clinic. I, I mentioned cost earlier on with one of your initial questions. It's over a billion dollars to develop something into a product. Mm -hmm. So in the academic setting at a university, we just don't have the resources to do that. So we can come up with ideas and testing um, and, you know, move something far enough that then industry hopefully will pick up and start putting in that investment to actually turn it into a product which is going to be necessary for patients to ultimately benefit. So a lot of the ideas and innovation will come from the university, but ultimately we need the pharmaceutical industry to get on board and, you know, do the very expensive uh, clinical trials and optimization and product development that are necessary to get it out there so patients can benefit. So that's why you asked earlier about what it was like to see industry getting involved in this particularly particular field. It's very exciting because now we know that there's a lot of resources going to make this a reality. And it's fascinating to me because we've done a lot about regenerative medicine, which is you know stem cell-based therapies. On this season of the podcast, we talked to Christina Nostro, we talked to Jenny Bruin, who I know was from your lab, mm -hmm. and everyone is doing something a little bit different. You know, mm -hmm. Dr. Christina Nostro is working on making beta cells in the lab. Mm -hmm. Jenny's working on a different part of developing beta cells. Where mm -hmm. do you see what you're doing in the regenerative medicine space when you look at the mm -hmm. whole field? So just in a, in a broader context, I think you, you raise a really good point, which is that this is not kind of one lab that, that's doing this. It's literally a worldwide effort. So there's been uh, scientists for decades working on trying to understand how the stem cells that we all start out with 
turn into the different tissues. And the, and the pancreas has been particularly well studied. And you know, it's been something that my lab has contributed, working very closely with, with industry on trying to figure out how to efficiently make the insulin-producing cells out of pluripotent stem cells in a process that can be scaled um, and is compliant with or has the ability to be compliant with GMP um, manufacturing practices. Um, and, you know, we've, we've benefited from research that's being done all over the world. And, you know, our field is not different from any others, but you probably are very familiar with, with how science works, how we, we find something and then we publish it and share it and build on that. Mm -hmm. And that's what my lab is doing and, and kind of just like every other lab. So we're, you know, a small piece of the puzzle that's um, coming together to hopefully make cell therapy for diabetes a reality. And we're looking at all aspects. We continue to work on cell manufacturing. We're very interested in how to protect the cells from immune attack. We're interested in what's the best place to transplant them. And we're very interested in this new um, growing area of um, genetically modifying the cells to have different attributes. So we're interested, for example, to make cells that could be a universal donor line of cells that could be implanted in any patient in the world and not um, raise an immune response, for example. Or engineering different things into the cells that will um, allow them to function better, um, make them safer, etc. But again, you know, this is a worldwide effort and there's people um, in many different labs who are contributing uh, to this effort. Yeah, science is definitely a collaboration. And Absolutely. It's, it's really interesting to see. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I always ask people is, why diabetes? What was it about diabetes that you said, okay, this is something mm -hmm. I want to work in? So for me, it started, I guess, as a graduate student and getting exposed to um, diabetes um, and diabetes research. And of course, being a scientist in Canada, we learn early on about uh, Canada's contributions going right back to uh, Banting, Bess, McLeod, and Collop, who discovered insulin and how that's been life-changing for patients. And I guess naively, I thought, here we are almost 100 years later and we're still injecting insulin. There has to be a better way. Um, and that was really solidified during my work or the period where I worked in Edmonton and the development of the Edmonton Protocol and their demonstration that a cell-based therapy can be quite effective. I think that really um, solidified in my mind that I should focus my efforts on that because I think we, we should be able to do something better for patients. And it's been very interesting and motivating um, working with the various funding agencies and meeting um, parents of children who have diabetes and having young children myself, I just thought it, it would be horrible to have to inject them with insulin all the time and worry about getting up in the middle of the night to check their blood glucose. And so as I said, I was maybe naive and ignorant thinking it would be simple um, and that I'd be moving on to something different by now, but um, I, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. And that's amazing, and I think everybody is sort of watching where this goes. And mm -hmm. so I want to thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I really appreciated chatting with you. 
And thank you to everyone for listening to the Diabetes Canada podcast. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or the podcast provider of your choice so you never miss an episode. And if you have any questions or comments about today's show, you can share them on social media. Diabetes Canada is available on all the social platforms at Diabetes Canada. You can also drop an email at info at diabetes.ca. And if you're particularly interested in this topic, please go back and take a listen. We've had Dr. James Shapiro, Dr. Christina Nostro, Dr. Jenny Bruin, and many others talking about stem cell and regenerative medicine topics. So lots to check out on this. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.